Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. Welcome to Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why in how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me those ears. And if you're watching this on video, your eyeballs are appreciated as well. I have my man, Marcus Sheridan. They ask, you answer. If you haven't read the book, I don't know why you haven't read it. Marcus, welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast. Victor, I got a feeling we're going to have a great conversation today. This is going to be a good one. I when I first saw you, and I you know, I think it was a pace of it, I'd heard about you, I think I'd seen you on the internet. Uh, but what I like about our journey, if I could pretend like we're friends, like we've been around for a while, yeah, bro. you're one of the the guys that I saw early on uh do a lot of content marketing and a lot and focus on inbound marketing. Uh, but before we bounce into that subject, that's the what I really want to dive into today with you. You know, let the folks know who you are and why you're a badass. <laughs> well, <laughs> So my, I'm going to give you the very quick story. Uh, out of college, 2001-ish, I started a swimming pool company called River Pools. Almost lost the company because of the crash of 2008. Ended up doing some really innovative things online. And uh, I didn't know they were innovative, but they were. And uh, we would go on to become the most trafficked swimming pool website in the world. And then we would go on to become a large manufacturer of fiberglass pools. And uh, during this whole journey, I started writing about what we were doing and uh, formed an agency out of it. And today, that agency has about 70 employees. And we teach folks how to implement that framework that I did with my pool company. It's called They Ask You Answer. The book They Ask You Answer has been uh, read by a couple hundred thousand people now. And uh, it's going stronger today than it was even five years ago when it came out, literally, which is pretty cool when a book has that type of shelf life. And uh, it's been an amazing ride. I get to, like you, Victor, speak all over the world and uh, help transform the way uh, businesses, the way people think, the way they communicate, uh, certainly the way they earn trust. And so that's uh, it's been my world for the last uh, 12 years. It's been amazing. You know, you know what I just found out, Marcus, last week that I thought was interesting ties into your book? That when the, you know, you're, you're familiar with uh, Cialdini's book Influence, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, you, I, did you know this that in the first five years, they pretty much dropped the book because it didn't do anything. And then after I don't think five I knew years, that. it just took off. It just blew up, man. And so what is it, 30 years later? So, well, that I'm, happens. I think it's for your book. That happens. Um, I think it was Moby Dick that what? was like, a, like, like, uh, like he never saw the fruits of his labor with the movie. It's tech, right? so it was like it's just really weird how certain you know it's like I I, I really actually believe anybody can uh, not anybody but with the right marketing behind you anybody can launch a bestseller. The question is, can you produce a book that is built to last more than three or four years? And truth is, most most books aren't designed or written uh, that way, right? And so that's to me is like the mark. Of, of a great piece of work is, are, are people still reading it in five years? Is it still selling? Is it still bringing value to the world? Because that's what I'm obsessed with, like evergreen type of content. I love that. And by the way, your book is made by Golden Shelf, man. So by, you don't know what the Golden Shelf is. That. So every six months, I purge books. I'm the guy with the smallest bookshelf. You know how many <laughs> brags I got a thousand books behind them? I, I don't take pride in that. I take pride in just narrowing them down to yeah. the ones that I know I can just reach know what page basically to pull up, open, look at it, and that's going to help me. And so your book, uh, you know, it, it was mind-blowing. But the what I loved about the book is I found myself going, yeah, yeah, that's right. I do that. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I need to do that. And it was there were so many takeaways. And I love the fact that you came from, you're a business owner, right? Still a business owner. And then you wrote the book, you know, after you've had the experiences. You know, let the folks know, you know, why they should buy the book and what's in there? Like, who should read that book, Marcus? Well, really, what the book is, they ask you answer. It's a framework on how you can use the internet mainly uh, to become the most trusted voice in your space. And specifically, we teach there's five subjects that every buyer, you, me, anybody that's listening to this right now, five subjects that we research before we reach out to a company before we engage. We call those the big five in the book. And then we teach you in the book how to address those five subjects that are generally, from a business's standpoint, sensitive subjects <laughs> like 
cost and price, especially if you're a B2B service-based business or things like talking about the competition. How do you do that? How do you compare stuff? How do you uh, do open and honest reviews where you talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly? All right, so there's lots of these subjects. Uh, we show how to do that in the book. And to your point, the idea, I wrote that, Victor, so that when people were listening to it or reading it, they were saying, this is so obvious. Why are we not doing this right now? That's what I've been thinking for a while. That's exactly what I would want if I was the buyer, right? That's what we wanted them to think and feel. And I think that's also, to me, that's a sign of, of... what, what great communication looks like, especially you know, if you're a salesperson, right? If you're a professional at what you do, you don't try to sound smart. It's not the name of the game. The name of the game is, are you understood? And one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard um, uh, when I was just starting online was, it's dumb not to dumb it down. And at first I was like, what? But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if I'm trying to sound smart, it means I'm trying to separate myself from my audience in some way. But if I'm trying to reach that beautiful thing that we call communion, right, with my audience, with my prospect, I let go of the need to sound smart and say the thing, communicate it in a way that everybody gets it. That's how the book was written. That's how I try to speak from a stage. Victor, you do that so very well, and that's what resonates with audiences. Yeah, you... You know, the when I was reading your book, I I think it's almost like a validation book also. Because mm. when you when I when I was reading some of your stuff, I go, okay, okay, so I so I should keep doing to do that. Okay, okay. You know, and then you were filling in some of the gaps, which you were also validating for me a lot of stuff that I was doing. And sometimes people need that validation. Um, by the way, I love this. It's dumb not to dumb it down. Dude, I'm so gonna use that. <laughs> I'll give you credit. My man Marcus said this. Cause it's true, right? It's how do you simplify things so people can communicate, or understand it. You do something in your presentations. This is kind of what blows me away because you're like, you just kind of break all kinds of rules when you speak. Yeah. And that the, one of the biggest ones you break all the time, I don't know how often you do this, but you never stay on stage. Right. You just feel like, screw that. I don't drive people crazy. I have to, <laughs> I've gotten to the point now where I have to meet the AV person beforehand. And I, mm. and I say to them, now you do realize that I will not be staying on the stage. In fact, there's a chance that I won't be up there the whole time. And um, and at first we're like, whoa, what? <laughs> this is like, but it's there's a few different reasons for that. Um, and there's some deep psychology in this. One of them might sound odd to listeners, but I want my audience to feel like I feel that I'm on the same plane as them. In other words, that I'm no smarter than you, I'm not looking down on you, that we're walking this path together. So that's one of the first, first reasons. Second reason, the more distance there is between a communicator and an audience, the less chance we have to make great impact. For example, in the sales world, right? Uh, they've done studies on this. There's nothing new to anybody that's in the game, but uh, if I said to you, what's higher, the closing rates in the kitchen or the closing rates in the living room? Well, Anybody that has been in the game should know it's in the kitchen. And the reason for that is when we're in the kitchen and whenever I did, I did in-home sales for years and uh, you sit at, ideally at the kitchen table because you're leaning into each other, you're shoulder to shoulder, and that's how you have really powerful communication experiences. And the same thing when you're on a stage, oftentimes they put the stage so far back from the audience is that you can't have that magical moment. You know, Brene Brown has something that she does. I do the same thing. I really love this mindset, which is I always tell them to keep the house lights on as much as possible. Don't turn them down. I don't want them to turn them down. Why? Because I need to be able to see their eyes. They need to be able to see mine. I need to be able to see their name tags because when I go up to them, I'm going to make deep relationships because I'm going to call people by name. I have to be able to see their name tag. And so that's why the house lights stay on. It's not about the slide deck behind me. It's about the, the communication we're having as a group in that moment, right? And so there's a lot more that goes into it. I appreciate you noticing though, that, though, Victor. And what's interesting is one other thing about this. I know when I give a presentation that roughly 97% of the audience is going to love it. They're going to adore it. They're just going to say things like, this is one of the best I've ever heard. This is the best of the event, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's 3% that are going to say, I don't like that guy. He invaded my space. 
he was, uh, you know, he was up in my face, or he was, uh, he yelled at me, right? And that's less than 3%, but there's always going to be somebody. And so I had to make a decision really early on in my career. Was I going to listen to that 2 3% or was I going to focus in on the 97, 98% that was saying, this is the best I've ever seen. And so before I even walk out on that stage, I let go of the 2%. I think it's important. That's a, like a, a lesson for life, if we can, is to, to know who we are, know what we're not, and not try to be that which we're not, lean into what we are, and understand that you're not going to be the best fit for everybody. And that's okay. That's okay. I, I think finding your, uh, by the way, I went through the same journey. I had to kind of give up the uh, trying to please 100% of the people and just do it my way. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noted about one of your presentations, and I'm going to put a link to the um, to that presentation in the, um, in, the, in the description, but you go out into the audience, right? And you're calling people up by name with their name tags, right? Yep. But there, there's, there's a level of comfort that you have to have, but there's also this piece of improv that you do throughout. <laughs> Talk to me about how you do that or how best you can describe what you're trying to accomplish there. Cause there's a lot of improv going on as yes. you're working, walk, working and walking through the audience. Victor, this is how, and this is going to sound like I'm just heaping praise, but for those that are listening, this is how you know that Victor is. Most people don't ask me this question, even though a lot of people have seen me do this. But you ask me this because you communicate at a different level. And so I appreciate the question very much. And in fact, my next book that's coming out is on transformative communication. And this principle is going to be addressed in really deep detail. And I, uh, uh, probably about 10 years ago, I had speakers that were professionals coming up to me and say, how do you go into the audience and it not blows up in your face? Now, of course, you know this is, is in many ways, it's improv-driven. In the world of improv, there's a principle called yes and. Yes. And yes and, uh, I don't believe actually is explained nearly as well in improv as it could and should be. <laughs> the rule of improv is that if somebody says something to you, you essentially agree with it. You don't have to say yes, but you go with it and then you add to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Yes, and though, if you take it a step further, is this ability to take anything that happens in the moment and use it to move towards the goal, not away from it or not sideways from it. So if somebody understands yes, and if a cell phone rings in a meeting, the presenter doesn't even look at the cell phone. They don't even acknowledge it because then you're giving the cell phone energy. Right? Somebody walks into the meeting late in the office. You don't stare that person down. You just go like they're not even late because you don't give energy to the negative thing. So that's, a, that's part of the principle of yes and. But yes and is also, no matter what anybody says to you, you know, and the great salespeople are like this, you know how to take what is stated and turn it into a positive, turn it into a good thing, right? Yeah. And so there's um, different examples of this. Can I sh- share one, like maybe the best example of yes and I've ever had? Dude, with you an can audience? share whatever you want, man. That's why you're on awesome. here, man. Go for it. So I want you to imagine the scene with me, everybody. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through this because I'm, this is a test for everybody that's listening on By your- the way, I'm, I'm going to pause you. By the way, if you're not watching this on video, Marcus is standing. He's shifting his weight. He's getting into it. Go, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I am with uh, 500 pharmacy store owners. Okay. And I have just completed the section of my talk where I teach about discussing cost and price on your website. And at the end of this segment, I say to everyone, so based on that, is it possible that you talk a lot more about cost and price on your website? And generally, after this, 100% of the room says yes. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But on this particular occasion, everybody's saying yes. But one person in the back of the room stands up, which I've never had happen before. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, 500 people in this room, jam-packed. He stands up and he says, as he's standing with his fist raised in the air, but you don't understand. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, we got us a live one here, right? And everybody in the room is quickly just shocked because this guy's yelling from the back, but you don't understand. Mm -hmm. Now, as you're listening to this, first I want you to think, what would you do next? What would you say next? Now, a lot of people would say, well, did you say to them, what don't I understand? That's part two. But part one's actually more important right now. 
Because yes and means you're excited no matter what anybody says to you, that you never flinch, that it looks like you were waiting on that question. It's just you've been anticipating that question all day. Now, I had never received that, but my job is to make sure the audience knows that everything's okay. That's part of yes and. And so when he says, but you don't understand, the first thing I say is, sir, thank you. Tell me, what's your name? Now, just like that, I'm smiling, I'm happy. Of course, why do I say, what's your name? Because immediately it starts to diffuse the situation and the tension. Because I'm going to call him and start, if I'm going to have a conversation with him in front of 500 people, I'm calling by name. Okay. He says, John. I say, okay. John, tell me, what don't I understand? Now I'm smiling the whole time. Okay. He says, because that's not the way we do it in this industry. That's not the way it's done. That's not the way we've ever done it. That's not how this industry works. I'm telling you, you don't understand. Okay. So that's what he says. By this point, the audience is really, really embarrassed and nervous. And they're like, this guy's going to derail this. Oh my goodness. What are we going to do here? Now, me, I have to recognize in this moment, okay, I got to make this a win. Now, how do you make it a win? You got to make it a win for the speaker, but that's the least important. The biggest win, you got to make it a win for the audience. And you got to make it a win for the person that you're interacting with. If you understand yes and, you always make the person who's giving an answer in a situation feel good about what they just said. And at the same time, if we understand yes and in this moment, we're not going to allow this to derail us. The problem is I can tell this guy's got some agitations that I'm not going to work out right now. I'm not going to get him worked out. Now, some people might say, well, you should tell him that, hey, let's address this afterwards. Yeah, but I haven't made him the hero yet. So that's not true yes and. So I got to make him the hero. I got to make the audience feel great. And I want to look good too, right? Okay, as part, naturally, as a byproduct of this, right? And so I'm not going to do that. And so this is what I said next. And this is the essence of yes and. I said, okay, everyone, time out. <clears throat> let's analyze what's happening right now. So just a few minutes ago, we all talked about how we as buyers and consumers expect to learn about and see cost and price on websites when we're researching companies. And then I said, but do you do it? And we all said, no, we don't do it. And that means we're all having this internal debate. Should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? And that's why we're here. Now, some of us are manifesting that energy more than others. In fact, John in the back, he's showing that passion more than anybody in this room right now. And to be honest, I just wish everyone in this room had the same passion of John in the back. Folks, let's give John a huge round of applause. And then, Victor, the audience starts going crazy. And what did John do? He literally looks around in shock and he slowly just sits down. And that's yes and. I I couldn't fix John. I couldn't fix him, right? I wasn't going to try. And I didn't want to take the time to work through through it and derail the meeting with 500 people. Right. And so yes and is not being thrown off your game, but always being able to make it work for the moment. And afterwards, the amount of people that came up to me and said, how did you do that? How did you know how to do that? And when you understand principles of communication, you, you latch onto principles. And that's why when salespeople are memorizing scripts, I always get nervous because I think scripts aren't principles. Scripts are just scripts and they can change in a second. But if right. you can latch onto principles and you know every principle of great transformative breakthrough communication, hmm. it doesn't matter what the prospect says, you're always prepared. Yeah, you were, you know, man, if someone, okay, I, I got questions. I got questions and statements. I mean, because I want to validate. I mean, everything you just said, I love, obviously. But you, you reminded me of Bruce Lee. Remember Bruce Lee? Be like water. Just look, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Water. Pour water into a cup, it becomes a cup. Pour it into a vase, it becomes a vase, right? Be like water. And so I love that because you have to do that. When you highlight something that's really interesting is that <clears throat> when you have that protagonist or the antagonist, take your pick. Well, I love what you said, because it's almost like the, you know, uh, well, I call it the value trinity, yep. is that you have to make him the hero, yep. the audience has to feel comfortable, and you have to look good. Yes. And the audience is watching you, man. They're, I mean, they're literally like, you know this, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir no, here. No, but, but this you is know, great. 
They're, they're, they're watching you and they're watching your reaction. How is he going to handle yes. this? And this could either make you or break you in the eyes of the audience. And I love the way you handle that because you just highlighted him. And I love the fact that you're not trying to work your way through his issues right there in the moment. <laughs> but again, that takes a level of cojones boldness. Mm. And so my question to you is, if I'm starting out as a speaker, yeah. you know, I should ask you this question this way. How did you develop that? Um, this one is tougher, uh, for me, um, uh, because I knew I was supposed to be a speaker by the time I was 20 years old. Really? Yeah. By the time I was 20 years old, I knew I was supposed to be a speaker because why? what why? happened why? was, why? why? I was, I was living in Chile, uh, Chile, the country. I was a missionary for my church. Okay. So you hablo poquito español. Soy chileno de corazón, yo. No, no yeah, I, I love, I love, uh, I love, I love Spanish, uh, speaking Spanish. Um, I, did, I went to Chile not with the ability to speak, and about six months in, I was, I was dreaming and thinking in the language, you know. And it's really mm. fascinating how that works. But, but I was, um, I was a missionary for my church, and by the end, they had me going around teaching all the missionaries how to how to present, in this case, we'll call it the gospel, mm -hmm. present the gospel in the home because I was very effective with it. And so, I knew, I knew at 20, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. What was funny is, as you know, Victor, it's like, you can't just say, I'm a speaker, because you have to have a thing, right? And in my case, I needed a story. And so, I became a pool guy. I didn't realize that the two were so interconnected. But of course, people all over the world today, they say things like, they'll come up to me and like, hey, you're the pool guy, right? That's like, that's you. And um, I never tire of telling that story, by the way. You know, so I've seen people, they grow their brands and then they get, they don't want to talk about what they used to be or what they were, mm -hmm. right? It's like, they don't want to be known for that. I'm like, I love being the pool guy. You know, it's like, I think Gary Vee, hopefully, and I think he does, he, he doesn't mind talking about the fact that he was the wine guy, right? It's like, I was the pool guy. That made him who he is, and you know, it's yeah. made me who I am in, in so many ways. This is such a, a, a big component to this. But, I've, I've, but ever since an early age, I have really noticed communication, thought about it, obsessed about it. Why in this moment is the receiver not, understanding what's being stated. How could this be said in a way that's sticky? It's just been my, it's been my great passion in life. I don't totally know why. Now, I've started teaching it hard over the last seven, eight years, I would say, though, Victor. And I got to say one other, one other really, really quick story, just because it's a different one, but I want everybody to hear it, especially this applies very much to sales, but very much to presenting, and I think it's so powerful. <sighs> So, if you've ever presented before, you've had Q&A, right? And if you've uh, seen most Q&A uh, segments to a talk, usually somebody in the audience asks a question and the speaker will give an answer. Well, one time at the end of, you know, I don't know, just some keynote, I was doing Q&A and this one person says to me, Marcus, man, this was, this was so great. Um, I got so many ideas. Where do you think I should start? Like, what do you think I should do first? Now, here's reality. 99% of all speakers are going to say, okay, here's what I think you should do first. The problem, though, is if I say that in that moment, who's the hero? I'm the hero. And so, that's not the goal. The goal is to always make your audience the hero of the moment. And so, in this moment, here's exactly what I said to the person. Um, we'll just call him Jeff. I said to him, Jeff, I'm going to give you an answer, but I see your passion. I've seen you taking notes today. My sense is your gut is telling you what you should do first. So you tell me what you're thinking, and then I'll tell you my thoughts. He said, okay, well, I'm thinking I should do this, this, and this first. And of course, I came right back and I said, and that's exactly what I would have said. Folks, let's give Jeff a round of applause. Now, 
didn't really matter what he said. I was going to say that because this was his impression. This was his thoughts. I could tell he was totally into the moment. He was gleaning information. And so I, 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 and I'm only a catalyst of this change, but he knows what he needs to do. <laughs> and so he had the right answer. And so instead of making myself the knowledgeable expert in the room, we celebrated him. And that's how we closed the Q&A with nice. everybody clapping for Jeff. Now, how often do you see everybody in a room having a huge round of applause for an audience member during Q&A? Rarely ever happens. Why? Because the speaker's the hero. No, I just want to answer that because I think people misconstrue this, that you're telling him what he wants to hear, right? But that's not what you're doing, mm. really. No, it's just, this is different. I knew, because I did notice, like you notice your audience so much, Victor, right? I'm noticing the audience. I saw his energy throughout. I saw his note-taking. I saw his passion, right? So it, clearly, if he had a crazy wrong answer, I was going to speak up and say something. Right. But what he said, I knew was right because that's what his gut was telling him. <laughs> and so that's why I said, and that's exactly what I would have suggested, yeah. Let's give Jeff a huge round of applause, right? Because now it's like, this is attainable for all of us. You don't need the guy on the stage. I am capable of this. And when you empower an audience like that, and they feel like, this is within me, that's where you inspire change. If I speak somewhere and somebody says, man, that guy's a genius, that means they think that the the level that I'm at is unattainable to where they are. They, it's like, no way I could do that. Right. That to me is a fail. Here's what I want to hear. This is so obvious. This is so simple. Yeah. Why are we not doing this? Those there's, are statements that we want to hear. There's a subtlety in what you've done also. It's, a re, it's real subtle. Is that because you made him the hero, the, the social distance between the audience and that kid is so much closer that they identify them. Not that they don't identify with you, but the social yes. distance is so much closer to him. They go, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. You nailed it, Victor. That's, that's exactly the subtlety right. there. You know, you do something else in your presentations, I think is personally, again, it's brilliant in its simplicity. And that is you block objections early before you even get into your presentation. Dude, you're saying things I'm like, this guy, yeah. he you, just gets it, man. You, Nobody yeah. asks me these questions. What do you do? You did this one presentation, and uh, I think you divided the room in half. Now, half of you are going to be excited about learning new stuff. Half of you might have your doubts. Obviously, you go into much more detail, and you kind of you spend about two or three minutes. But I go, look what he's doing. He's just he's just preparing. You know, he's just tilling the field before he starts planting seeds, right? And you do that so well. Speak to me about blocking objections or resistance from the stage, because you said something very subtle. Again, early, you said when you started, you know, your passion for communication was becoming known to you, so to speak, that you're trying to figure out what makes people more receptive. How do I prepare them? How do I make it more sticky? But sometimes it's not making about sticky. It's about opening them up to be able to receive the information. And I think the way you block objections is as a clever way of doing that. All right, folks, as you're listening to this, I've probably been on a thousand podcasts. Nobody's ever asked me that because they, they didn't observe that. And this is funda fundamental to the way that I present mm -hmm. and certainly the way that I sell. So again, if you're listening to Victor, this is why you listen to him right here. This is why, because he asked questions that I've never been asked before. So the principle that you're talking about right now is what I call vanguarding. And just to give you the historical reference, reference point on this, the vanguard was the part of the Roman army that went into battle first. And when they went into it, they formed a V, right? And it was almost like an arrow of, of people going in to battle first. That was your vanguard. And so, there's a phrase that I believe so much in, and here it is. The greatest way in life to resolve a concern is to address it before it becomes a concern. And that's what vanguarding is. It's knowing what the problem is going to be or what the exit doors are going to be in their mind and getting in front of those, closing those doors before they have a chance to even open them. So, for example, one of the major vanguards I have in every single talk, presentation, etc., is what you just heard Victor mention, which is the, 
this, this, this is nice, but you see, Marcus, we're different. You see, everybody likes to think we're different. And because I know that we naturally think this as humans, I need to go into the presentation and I need to get rid of that before they're allowed to say it. I need everybody to agree that they're not different. And so I will take the time at the beginning of the presentation to say uh, something like this. And I'll, I'll even do it just like we talked about, but I'll say something like this. You know, my fear today, Victor, and let's say you were in the audience. My fear today, Victor, is that you hear this and you say, huh, well, that might have worked for you as a pool guy in Virginia, Marcus. But you see, here at my company, you know, Vic, Victor Antonio Inc., things are, go ahead, Victor. Victor different. Says, different. And I say, that's right. By the way, I just want to pause you because you could crack me up. The way you started out, it's just brilliant. It goes, my fear is. Because yes. people are naturally go, well, what is your fear? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. So I say that. And, and then what happens is, so we, I choose somebody in the audience to say the word, we're different. And then I'll say this. Now, you are different, Victor. But let's analyze this further. If I said to you, is trust fundamental to your business in 20 years, what would you say? No, it's not different. It'll be the same. Yeah. Trust is fundamental to you. Today, tomorrow, 20 years, trust is never going to go away. It's never going to go away. And so the one thing that all of us in this room have as a commonality is we're in the business of trust. And I'll point at people. Are you in the business of trust? They'll say, yeah. Are you in the business of trust? They'll say, yeah. So can we agree that we're all in the business of trust? I say, yeah. Okay, great. Now, so here's what you have to do today. Today, I'm going to show you how you can become the most trusted voice in your space. And if at any point you feel like, I don't know if this applies to me, you first have to say to yourself, but could this help us induce more trust? Wait, so, wait. I got to stop. I got to stop. Because this is so good. So... Okay, audience, notice what he did. Because it's like, if you don't really pay attention, they'll just right by you. First, he gets you to buy into the word trust, right? Yep. And then he says to you, don't we want to be, what'd you say, the trusted voice in our industry? Yes, yes. Brilliant. Yes. And that's what we're going to focus in on. That, by the way, again, you do this because it's natural. You've worked on it. But just that that cadence, that sequence of what you just did, right, is brilliant. Because it's like you, you set them up. The V, the Vanguard, right? Yep. And then you set them up for all, everybody has to agree. We want to be the trusted voice in our industry. Yeah. Well, then we can agree. And then you take them from there and everybody's on board. I love that, man. It's, it's subtle, but it's powerful. Yeah. And at the end of that entire segment, I say, so can we agree that whether you're a B2B, B2C, service, product, local, national, mom and pop or corporation or nonprofit, that today we won't come from a place of we're different, but rather we're all going to come from the same place, a place of trust. If you can agree that you're not going to come from that different place today, everybody please say yes. And then the audience says yes. And now, you see, first couple of years of presenting, I kept getting people come to me at the end, Victor, and they'd say, um, uh, Marcus, this is great, but how does this apply to me as a B2B service-based business? <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah. all right, if they're saying that, Who's it on? Eh, it's on me. You're now, right. granted, there could be some some people, there are some people that no matter what, you're not going to be able to break through because they have But, I, but I love issues. what you just said, though. It's on me. It's on me. A lot of presenters don't understand it. It's That's on right. you. If the audience doesn't get it, it's not their fault. It's your fault. That's right. And, and, and you just made that statement, whether you're B2C, B2B, and you said service, product, product service, local, national, local, mom, national. pop. It's like, I want to cover every single exit door here. Yeah. A that, label yes. that they would give themselves as to why this doesn't pertain to them. And so each one is one of those exit doors. I've tried to identify all of them. I throw in their nonprofit too, because then they're going to think they're... So now everybody's like, yeah, we, I know that we have a commonality of trust. I know everyone's going to say that is fundamental to my business today, tomorrow, forever, right? Because it's a principle yeah. of truth. And so because of that, we're focused on that. And yeah. so later on, if somebody says, yeah, but Marcus, I just don't, I don't think we should do that. We start, okay, I understand why you would think that, but let's first answer this question. If you found a way to do it, would it induce more trust? So we bring them right back again. And the then trust. they say, yeah, it would. Then it becomes a situation where we're going in solution mode instead of 
okay, there's this problem of, I don't want to talk about that. No, 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 no. Right. Would it induce more trust? Well, yeah. Okay. So now let's work from that point. I love it. I, you know, in your book, if I may be so bold as to suggest, you got to have one chapter titled, maybe a little section titled, Blocking Mental Exit Doors. Because <laughs> I love the way, you, the, I love it. Everybody takes for granted that when you say that, it's like, like that, big deal. You just said it, right? You know, B B B to C, global, local, mom, pop, the whole bit, right? But you had to really think about that line. You had to craft that line. I know you did, yes. right? So one day you just said, I got to cover all these doors. And then you sit there, and then what you're doing is preempting that conversation later right. on, which saves you time. Preempt. The greatest and, way know, in life to resolve a concern is to address yeah. it before it becomes a concern. I love that phrase, closing the, the mental exit doors. Now, you also, there are several things, by the way, if you're, if you're listening or watching this, especially if you're listening to this, you'll notice that throughout his presentation, and it is a presentation, this interview, we're talking about speaking, communicating. You'll notice, even if you go back and rewind this, you'll notice Marcus's tone, velocity, speed, cadence continue to change throughout this. I think you've changed on me like four or five times already, easily, uh, which I appreciate. And then your tone changes, and then you try to create visuals like the Vanguard, the V. You know what I mean? You try to bring us into the room. You also use something that I, that I found, you know, admirable is that you use a lot of, not a lot, you use a, a smattering of uh, self-deprecating humor mm. when you're talking to people. You know, like your your famous ball spot. I'll use that one as a, uh, the light shining on your head. You say, hey, look at that, it looks like a ball spot. And talk about using self-deprecating humor lightly, of course. You can't use too much of it, but you sprinkle it. But tell me about your strategy. What's your thought process when you do that, if you think about it? Yeah, and again, another great observation here. Everybody listening to this or watching this right now has been on YouTube. You saw a thumbnail, and immediately you didn't like the guy on the thumbnail. Why didn't you like the guy or the girl? Why didn't you like the person on the thumbnail? Like, what about them turned you off? You haven't started watching the video yet. And if you get to the core of this, it's because they presented themselves in a way where they thought in your mind that they were smarter or superior than you. So, in other words, they had some type of arrogant pose that made them look almost condescending. And so this happens to us all the time. So we don't even click on the thumbnail because we're like, ah, oh, that guy looks like a jerk, right? That guy looks like he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Okay, so the same thing applies to presenting. If someone feels like you think you're smarter than them, they're going to quickly disengage, even if what you're saying is true. So all this stuff that we've been talking about level planes, right? We're on the same path. You know, I'm no smarter than you. So, you know, I will say things like to the audience, I'll make statements like, you know, after that cost price thing, and I'm just asking questions, I'll say something like, now this is the part of the conversation where you all say, I don't like you pool guy. And so it's, everybody starts to laugh. Because a lot of the people in the room were thinking it. They're thinking, what the hell is this pool guy telling me how to run my business? So, it's knowing the elephant in the room and bringing it and making light of the elephants. These, again, these exit doors that we have in our head and I'm so obsessed with them. And I'm thinking like they're thinking. So, I'm totally, I love engaging the friction points. Somebody has a point of friction we're like what the hell is he you know he's a pool guy and i'm like and i and i come right out and say it. it's like what do you know pool guy so it's like it creates this great laughter because i'm reminding them like he's just a pool guy there's no reason for me to feel threatened hmm. and so i'll go back to that well just a couple times to keep them aware of the fact that I do not put myself in a plane above you. I come from a blue-collar space. This isn't genius here, right? It's also why I tend to use we language instead of I language, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a subtlety that I think a lot of people miss. Nobody wants to be preached to. But if, we, if somebody says, yeah, I think we really need to do this, it's a lot different than, hey, 
you all need to do this. That's a mm-hmm. very different conversation. All right, so all these things puts us in this same boat rowing in the same direction. I love the fact that, you know, you're, when I hear you speak, you use, uh, I, I don't know the words, so don't be offended by the phrase, but it's almost like an all shucks language. Hmm. You know what I mean by that? It's like, dude, I'm one of you, man. It's like, oh, shucks, man. I'm just like you, which is why I get the whole pool guy reference. Uh, and if you're wondering as you're watching or listening to this, it, does this apply to sales in every way possible? One is what Marcus is talking about is how do you connect, communicate, engage with people? You talk about blocking all the mental exits so people don't run out the door. Okay, that's a speech, but sometimes within a sales presentation, they can mentally Tons run out the back door as well. And on top of that, you talk about, uh, you know, the, the elephants are in the room. We know there's probably more than one elephant in the room. If we raise the objection, we control the objection. So it all ties in the sale. Now, I want to go back. I'm back to Chile for a second. The you said at 20, you said, you know, Vic, I think I, 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 you know, I want, I want to be a speaker, you know, but still, I didn't, I didn't breach, I didn't get it fully. Like, there's got to be some subtleties in there that said, you know what, I think I want to do this, and I want to dedicate, you know, a good chunk of my life to learning how to master this skill. Like, what got you to that point where you said, you know, at 20, I want to be a speaker? Well, I think for me, it was one of those things where. I was, um, I went out with a uh, group of people, uh, fellow missionaries. They're all about my age, about 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And then two years later, we'd been separated the whole time. Two years later, we get back on a plane and go home together. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were sharing our experiences. And without me openly saying it, because we talked about who we were able to teach and the people that we were help be able to help bring into the into the fold, if you will, mm. and I realized that I had had, from a numeric standpoint, a stunning, a stunningly like high amount of success in terms of bringing people to the gospel. Right now, in that moment, what I was saying to myself is, why? Why is that? Right, that's the self-awareness side of like look at it analytically. Just why is that? And as that occurred, I was just saying there's something that's happening here that I'm doing that others are not doing nearly as well. And that happened a few other times when I was in Chile, and that's also why um, I was asked to teach all these missionaries. And the more I was asked to teach them, and the more I was able to see that I kept doing things just uh, almost like uh, inherently, organically, they just were, that, that was, the, I just saw it that way, but others weren't naturally doing it that way. That's when I said, why is this? And it wasn't an arrogance. It was just mm-hmm. an understanding and knowing. And I think, you know, one of the great keys of life Victor is really understanding what's our genius, what's our zone of genius, mm-hmm. and 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 it's unfortunate because in a lot of ways I think society has torn down this idea of really owning what your genius is because everybody mm-hmm. wants to call oh that's 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 arrogance no 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 it's like there's a big difference between arrogance and saying. I realize that I have a gift here. This is what I have been given, just like my son has a gift with his hands. He can build things. He's really special. He gets it a hundred times faster than I can. By the time he was 16, he was wiring entire garages. Okay, Mm. right? I can't do that to this day. I don't think I ever could. Mm. But what I realize that I have is I can, to pull it all down, I could explain complex things in simple ways so that everyone could understand them. That's the thing that I was doing. Complex things, making them simple to understand. And I've just repeated, rinsed and repeated that over and over and over again. And so, I became a marketing expert. Why? Because I was talking about a subject that was called content marketing, but I said it in a way that was easier to understand compared to a lot of the people that were talking about content marketing. I used the phrase, they ask, you answer right? That's obvious. That's simple. It's catchy. It's like, duh, okay. So, you're saying they ask a question. I just answered on my website, right? Through text and video, right? Yeah, that's content marketing. It's like, oh, now I get it. But everybody, if you hear me give a presentation, you won't hear me use the phrase content marketing because it's not relevant Mm -hmm. to the people in the room. I want 
to simplify it so easily. And by the way, when you simplify something, that's when it's spreadable. That's when everybody wants to share it with everybody else because they can now teach it themselves. The mark of a great teacher is how many of your students could then teach what they just heard to everyone else. A mark of a great salesperson is if you're working with a singular prospect, how perfectly could they deliver your message, deliver your pitch, whatever you want to call it, to everyone else in the organization? How many times have you lost a deal because they couldn't, because they screwed up the message? It happens all the time. So this is why I'm also into, to your point, Victor, phrases that you can put your arms around. So that's called vanguarding. Okay, that's called yes and. Okay, and those five subjects again are called the big five. You said, yeah, that's the big five. The overall framework is called they ask, you answer. Okay, I get it. So it's like everything has a really simple name. So this way, it sticks. I love it, Matt. You, dude, we're we're like you don't understand. We're like brothers, man. You don't understand. Oh, I we're can see like, it like that because. You, there's like this inverse proportionality rule that the more you can simplify it, the more you reduce fear. Mm. And mm. that's what you're trying to do with your audience. By not saying content marketing, you make it simple and they go, oh, I can do that. That's reducing fear. Yes. And then chunking up with graphics and everything is very powerful because they, they can just grab onto these concepts. Now, I got to ask you a couple more questions and I'm going to let you roll, Matt, because I know your time Man, is Man, this valuable. has been fun, by the way. Golly, Thank Dan, I, I love... I love people that research beforehand and ask no. questions that are I've never been asked. And you've done like, I swear, I think you've done like four or five already that I've never been asked. Dude, well, this, I'm telling you, as I'm listening to you, I hear myself. When I was reading you, your book, They Ask You Answer, I was like, first of all, when I first saw that title of the book, I'm like, what? But I do you, right? So I go, oh, let me buy the book because I really don't understand this title. I got to be honest. I go, I don't understand the title. And then, I was having major forehead slaps as I was going through it. Like, of course, that's cool. Of course, it's right there. <laughs> so that's what I love about your book because there's a bunch of forehead slapping going on. But, but I think, but what, what you're doing is exactly what you said. What, what you're saying is what you did in the book is that you said this isn't hard. It's, it's really about consistency and just really listening. Those, take those two things. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you two questions up. You mentioned in one of your speeches, you mentioned Daniel Pink. You said it's about the trough. People are going to jump into the trough. And I go, ah, he's read the book when, you know. And so, uh, you know, who are, and it doesn't have to be Daniel Pink, but who are some of the people that, and I'm asking, this is a tough question to answer that you like, I don't want to say admire, it's too much, but people whose work you respect. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain people who, like Daniel Pink is one of those guys. He writes a book, I just buy it. Simon Sinek writes a book, he writes it, I buy it. You know, Brent Adamson, sales, I buy it. Matt Dixon, same thing. Who are people that, you know, you love their work and you have a high confidence that they always deliver? Well, the one that's had the biggest influence is no longer with us. I mean, but his work still lives on to me, um, just as applicable today as it ever did, is Jim Rohn. Oh, yeah. I I just have a love. Dude, see what I mean? See what I mean? That guy's in my, my, my constellation of superstars, man. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm I sorry. Have a I love and adoration. If somebody said to me, who's your, who's your, your greatest mentor? You know, it would literally be like, uh, Jesus and Jim Rohn, like those two people for me personally. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> right? So, uh, Jim Rohn. That phrase is going to live with me forever now, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim Rohn. I still to this day listen to him probably four to five days a week and just put myself in the right state before I give a talk. I will listen. I will listen to him. I love her own man. And I think everybody, you're doing yourself a terrible disservice if you've never listened to him. His content's still free all over YouTube. And so please, 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 I beg you, R-O-H-N, Jim Rohn. Uh, please give him a listen. I would say he's he's my uh, ultimate go-to to this day. Okay. I have uh, Zig Ziglar, mm-hmm. Jim Rohn, mm-hmm. and a lesser-known person, but I think is just so underrated, is Ogmandino. Oh, that's a good one. That's yeah. one of the classics, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are some uh, really good ones. Zig, yeah. I've listened. Like you, Victor, you know, I, I, I f- fell in love with personal development probably mm-hmm. when I was 22 years old. Um, I found at a, um, in fact, 
one of the first uh, books that I saw at a uh, at a garage at a garage sale was this book here, Effective Speaking by wow. Dale Carnegie. Two dollars. Yeah. You can't see it probably, but two dollars, yeah. and uh, it cost me. And you know, it's like. Uh, I, I bought in college um, how to, how to um, st- start living and stop worrying, uh, Carnegie again, um, and that was seventy five cents. I got it at a garage sale, you know, and just these these I just just the idea that I could make myself a better person, that I could turn into something that I wasn't, was exhilarating to me at this young age, and just this passion just took over me. This is why I remember I was in university. I'm like, I got to get out of here. So I said, how can I finish school just so I can get out in the world? I'm like, I speak Spanish better than all my professors. Ding, ding, ding. So I took a test. I fit, like, took that clipped out of two years of university. And then I hurry up and I graduated. And then <laughs> I became a pool guy, right? But it was like, perfect. It's exactly what I needed, which by the way, Career paths are very overrated because it's a story you create within the career that's, that's going right. to ultimately make you what you are. Uh, society teaches that backwards today. That's like it's your career, it's everything. No, it's your mindset, but that's a separate separate mm-hmm. conversation entirely. You can make magic whatever career path you're in, and you can you can really lead a fulfilled life in whatever career path you're in. I truly believe that. Spe- speaking of career paths, I think it's interesting. I mean, I started out as an engineer, said screw that, don't want to do that anymore, and it took me. It, it, it took, I was so conditioned by the script. I'll call it the social script, right? Go to school, get the education, get the JLB, stay there for years. That whole thing. Yeah. And I think they would, and one of the things I want to talk to you about is mindset and being an entrepreneur. You know, can, can you, can you hit on that before we wrap this thing up? Just mindset and entrepreneur. Somebody's listening. They're, they're not feeling what they're doing, right? You know what I mean? They're not feeling what they're doing. You know, give, give them a, give them a Marcus Sheridan. Here's what you need to think about speech. Well, I would say that the best decisions I've ever made as an entrepreneur were at my peaks of personal development. So your ability to grow something is going to coincide with where your, your mind, your state is at that time. And so I've had three or four seasons of life where I was just at really high peak performance from a learning perspective. And in hindsight, that's where I I came up with some of the greatest breakthroughs. And what's interesting too is oftentimes you don't realize you have a breakthrough in the moment. It takes a little bit of time and you look back, it's like, wow, that was a breakthrough. I didn't realize when I was doing They Ask You Answer in in the beginning, I didn't realize, hey, this is going to become this like, you know, book that's been read around the world and it's going to change it is it wasn't like that and so you have to you have to keep that in mind one thing i would say too is the best modern book i've read for business and for entrepreneurs um is uh anything from jim collins but especially good to great which mm-hmm. i i really adore good to great because it talks about hedgehog concepts and hedgehogs mm-hmm. uh is the, what's the thing that you can be the best in the world at Without trying to be all things to all people, what's the one thing that you can really be great at? And so I made certain decisions in business that were huge for me. So when I started with my pool company, I wanted to be everything to everybody. In fact, we were doing um, in-ground pools, we were doing above-ground pools, we were doing hot tubs, we were doing tanning beds, we were doing pool tables, we were doing all these things. And so Jim Rohn taught me hedgehog concepts and focusing on one thing that we could be the best in the world at. And that's when I said, okay, we're going to sell our retail, we're going to get out of our retail stores and we're just going to do fiberglass pools. Okay, so that was the first major, major decision that I made that started to lead to incredible prosperity as a business owner. Then the next decision was as I started to see the internet and see what was happening with the internet, and I saw people saying "be everywhere," and I'm like, "There's no way you can just be everywhere." I said, "We're going to be the best in the world at producing content on our website." And so at first, I just produced text-based content, answering our customers' questions on our website, like you read and they ask, you answer. And I did that for six to 12 months, and we started to dominate the space. Then we started to add video. For the first five years, I didn't do any social media with my swimming pool company. None. I didn't care because I wanted to be the best in the world at this specific thing, which was creating content for our website. Now, you might say, well, it wouldn't have hurt if you had done social. Anytime you add something, you take something 
also. Yes. You have to understand that. You know, too often in entrepreneurism, we don't realize that. It's like you're adding something. No, you're also taking something in that moment. And so I was just going to focus on that. And that's how we became the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. A pure focus on that thing. And I have an agency. And the agency struggled until we became just a they ask you answer agency. Once it became a they ask you answer shop where companies that wanted to do they ask you answer, it was boom. It's like that's where you went. And it was a community of just they ask you answer folks. Then it exploded. Before that, we were like every other agency, right? So know your hedgehog concepts. And you're like, well, Marcus, how do I know? Well, you might not know yet. But that's why you do have to experiment. But over time, you're going to start to get indications. And if you're thinking, but there's no way that one lane could support me, you'll be surprised. Mm. And the phrase, the riches are in the niches, is more true than you would think. And so understand what that lane is. You can try to be a jack of all trades, but you will end up being a master of none. I promise you that. And so you're much better off becoming a master of one. And then when you become that master of the one, then you can add at that point. You've earned the right to add to it. But don't do it before that point. And I think if you follow that advice, you're going to be, uh, you're going to really, really benefit. Yeah. And amen. Put a big amen on the end of that one. Because I think it's, you know, when I decided to do sales influence, I, I, I was just into, you know, you know, neuroscience, you know, uh, behavioral economics. And I said, that's the lane I want to play in. So when people say, do you do leadership? No. Do you do teamwork? No. Do I do customer service? I don't talk about that stuff. Yeah. Not what I do. I'm not good at that. And so I love the hedgehog concept. Um, something people don't know about you. Let's close this out. What is one thing, Marcus Sheridan, that people would be surprised to find out about you? I own an offshore charter fishing company. Uh, it's called Speechless Sport Fishing. I have a YouTube channel. It's, it's called fun. Saltwater Fishing University. <laughs> All right. You like the name Speechless? Yeah. I do. I do, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just something ironic about that name. Very intentional, right? Yeah. Very intentional was that was that name. So I've got this passion uh, for for the salt life. And uh, mm. so what's funny is, you know, a lot of people see me as the guy on stage, but then you turn around and I'm, you know, on a, on a boat offshore wearing Crocs and, and, you know, just, it's just, I've got this amazing life, Victor, where I take things that I love and I turn them into businesses and, uh, and I try to involve my family as much as I can in those experiences. Right. And, um, you know, one thing I don't do is I don't separate work from family. Mm. Actually, I've gone the opposite side and I've tried to integrate them together as much as possible. So if I go on trips, I try to bring one or four of my kids, right? Mm. And that has been such a great joy of my life is the integration of personal and professional. That's beautiful, man. It doesn't get better than that, does it? Uh, both of my kids work for me, awesome. and it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man, it when you can so bring beautiful. the family in. And I also learned that you wear Crocs. I, don't, I won't judge you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Sheridan, uh, let these folks at the Sales Influence Podcast know where they can find out more about you. Well, you can best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And speaking of hedgehogs, that's the one social media where you'll really find me at. I don't put any energy anywhere else, just LinkedIn. So find me there, or you can email me directly, uh, Marcus at MarcusSheridan.com is the easiest email to remember, Marcus at MarcusSheridan.com. But Victor, this was awesome. You're awesome. I respect the heck out of you, man. And Thank you, man. Uh, what a fun conversation this was. Thank you for the research you did to make this interview great. Dude, it was fun doing research on you, man. So again, check out Marcus Sheridan, connect with him on LinkedIn, get the book, they ask, you answer. I'm telling you, get the book. Uh, don't even think about it. Just buy it. Uh, and on that note, this is Victor Antonio with the Sales Influence Podcast, always reminding you that selling ain't hard when they ask and you answer and you know how to answer. Just ask Marcus Sheridan. Take care. Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. 